welcome to the Scripture Study Project, our podcast dedicated to helping you discover the scriptures in a fresh way, invest your mind and heart into your personal study, and connect to God in your everyday life. We are your hosts, Zach and Krista Horton, and this week we are excited to be here to study in Doctrine and Covenants sections 30 through 36. Now, you might have noticed that last week we played an old episode from a couple years ago that we recorded for Easter. We thought about taking a break, but thought that the celebration of Holy Week, um, something that we really have enjoyed doing over the past couple years, is just making each day leading up to Easter a special time in our home and our family, and it's been really meaningful for us. So we added that just as a little hopefully a helpful reminder to you during your Easter week. Now, this episode is being released right before Easter, so either you have already celebrated Easter because you're listening to it after Easter, or you're going to listen before and we wanted to wish you a happy Easter, happy General Conference, or hoping that you already had a good Easter and General Conference. But we're looking forward today to be here with you as we study sections 30 through 36. But from two weeks ago, our question that I think really actually brings us into this week's episode really well. Our question was, what motivates me to gather myself and others to the Savior? If you remember, section 29 was all about the second coming, gathering, gathering Israel, gathering ourselves and others. And so the question was, what is our motivation? And we just wanted to share a couple of the replies that we got from you. The first one, the more I study, the more I know of the character of my Savior. The more I want to get closer, the more I want to share and bring others to come and see. And then the next one, as I get to know and love other folks, I naturally want them to find joy and peace in life. Brene Brown talks about moving in, getting closer, because it's easier to love others when you do. The only sure way I have found joy and peace in my life is through Christ's gospel. When I think of gathering, I think of my mother. She's an expert gatherer, creates delicious food, good company and celebration, and has catered many and, and catered and hosted all sorts of events and knows how to make everyone feel welcome. That is how I want to approach the gathering of Israel. It's not about come here, we have all the answers, but more like you're not alone. Let's figure it out together and we will have a beautiful time of it. That's how we build up the kingdom of God. We invite others into our lives, our homes, our families. We make them feel welcomed. We become one. I like those two because it um, points out, I think, two main reasons that we saw in the comments and that uh, many of you probably felt as you were reading for why we want to gather ourselves to the Savior and why we want to help other people. Number one is because we love God, because he's done something for us in our life. And the more that we experience that, the more we want to share it with other people. But the other reason is because we love other people. And the more that we care about them and and hurt when they hurt and see what's going on in their lives, the more we want to be a part of their life and the more we want to share with them things from our life that might help theirs go better. And I love the way that those work together. It's we're sharing something we love with people we love and people that we care about. Something that means a lot to us naturally flows over to people that we care about or who we even give give a listening ear to when we understand people's stories and backgrounds. It makes it so much easier and 
almost more exciting to share because yeah. we know that we have something that's helped us. So with so many things in the gospel, it's the first and second great commandments. We love God and we love others. And on these two things hang all the rest of uh, the gospel and sometimes even all the rest of our activities and invitations in the church. So thank you so much for sharing for this week. Um, I want to diverge just a bit. So um, we have been on a Harry Potter kick for the past year or so. We read the books a couple of years ago, and then we're uh, rereading the books now that some of our younger kids are a little bit older and can understand them. Uh, we took a spring break trip to Harry Potter World, and so that was really fun. And uh, in in um, watching the videos, one of the things that has always bothered me, and I'm sure someone's going to send me an angry message about this, or maybe not, maybe you feel the same way, but they had to recast the lead for Dumbledore. Richard Harris played Dumbledore in the first two Harry Potter movies, and I loved Richard Harris. For me, he was the depiction of who Dumbledore was. He was uh, kind, and he was wise, and he was soft-spoken. And then, for the last five movies, Richard Harris passed away, and so they cast Michael Gambon. And I don't know if this is accurate. I heard someone say once that Michael Gambon had never read Harry Potter, and he didn't read Harry Potter before he was cast in the role. He wanted to bring something fresh to the script. And he did. He completely changed the character of Dumbledore. And I'm not alone, I think, in thinking that it diverged heavily from what Richard Harris did and from what I felt Dumbledore was. And there's one particular example of this, and I promise this is going somewhere, but in one of the Harry Potter books, Harry Potter... Um, his name comes out of the Goblet of Fire. He's chosen to participate in this tournament. And it's stunning because he wasn't supposed to put his name in. He didn't put his name in, and yet it comes out of the Goblet anyway. Someone put his name in. In the book, it says that Dumbledore approaches Harry and says, Did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire, Harry? Close quote, comma, or comma, close quote, Dumbledore asked calmly. In the movie, Michael Gambon charges Harry down and grabs him by the front of his shirt and shouts at him, did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire? And to me, that scene just shows everything that was that upset me about the character. So That one <laughs> threw me off this time too, though I've watched those movies a few times. This last time we watched it, I thought the same thing. Like, this just doesn't sit right with me. Uh, can't, this isn't Dumbledore. Well, our kids pointed it out too. So anyway, some of you are probably Michael Gambon fans out there and you loved it. and But... What that illustrates to me is a principle I learned a couple of years ago that what we say often isn't uh, heard as loudly as how we say it or even what we are feeling as we say it. You can say something to your children, for example, and if you are filled with love, kindness, patience, it's received one way. If you're filled with frustration, uh, anger, or tiredness, then it's received another way. You know, hey kids, it's time to get ready for bed. If you say that when you're tired, as we often do, then it is received differently than if you say that when you're not tired or when you're more patient. And in that scene with Dumbledore, the text or, or the, the words are the same. He's, he's directly quoting the book. Um, but the way that he said it mattered. His voice mattered. Um, now, as I was reading this week's sections, one of the things I have noticed previously that I noticed again this time through is the words voice, 
tongue, and mouth show up repeatedly. These sections are heavily drenched in the missionary spirit. Uh, Joseph uh, is calling through Revelation individuals to go and preach the gospel abroad. They're going to head west and go on these missions to the Lamanites. And it's clear that the Lord wants them not just to go somewhere and say something. He wants them to say it in a certain way. Um, and we've got lots of people here. We've got the Whitmers in section 30. These are, if there was a, uh, we're still in 1830, and so this doesn't really hold up, but if there were lifelong members, the Whitmers are as close to lifelong members as you get. They're some of the earliest believers. Um, you have Thomas Marsh, who's a fairly new convert and is worried about his family. He's being called to leave his family, and he's very worried about it. Uh, Ezra Thayer is a critic of the church and uh, has just recently had a complete change of heart. Orson Pratt in section 34 uh, has a famous older brother, and he's filled with self-doubt. Um, he kind of famously, Joseph, when he comes to Joseph and asks for revelation, Joseph says, why don't you write down this revelation? And Orson refuses. He's, he's nervous. And just a little bit on that, if you haven't been reading some of the backgrounds to some of these in revelations in context in saints, it's so fun to read the stories behind where these revelations are coming, especially in a section like we're studying this week, where it's very specific to each person and you get to learn a lot about them. So I would just put a plug in for that of just the goodness and maybe the fun it can add to your study, just reading a little backstory to all of these people, just as Zach has just shared this, these little snippets of, of what their story is about. So here's the problem we had with all of this. We, as we were studying, we knew that voice mattered. What we didn't, what we weren't able to do is to craft uh, a really good question for this. And so here's the question we're giving. It's deliberately vague. The question is, what is my voice? Now that's a very vague question because there are so many different questions you could ask related to that question. And we're gonna ask some of them in this episode and give an answer. Of course, you might find others. Um, but the invitation this week is that you wrestle with your voice. Uh, what the Lord is, what instructions he's giving to you about the voice that you have and where he wants you to use it and what you can do with it. And maybe that's a question that you've asked yourself is, what do I really have to share? Or I don't know what to share. And that's why we left it openly vague in that way is because you've probably asked yourself some form of this question. And it was fun for us to go through and study anything surrounding that, the questions we've had ourselves, or as we've thought about, you know, what we call quote unquote missionary work in our church. Um, what, what does that really mean? What part do I have to play? What, what part does my voice, what can I bring with my voice? It's a very fitting part two to our study of section 29, which was part one. If section 29 is about why we should gather people, this part sections 30 through 36 is how you're going to do it. How are you going to use your voice to actually participate in this grand gathering that uh, the Lord is asking of us? So I'll start with what I think is a really easy one, a simple one, and one that we probably are familiar with. Uh, the question is, how can I find my voice? How do I figure out what my voice is and, and where I should use it and who I should talk to? Um, I, I have always loved uh, the commandments the Lord gives to these early missionaries and how simple they are. They did not have a preach my gospel or any kind of 
training in how they should go about proclaiming the gospel, the Lord just gave them a very simple instruction. So, for example, in section 30 to, uh, to John Whitmer, he just says in verse 11, open your mouth. And then uh, two sections later in section 33 to Ezra Thayer and those that are going with him, Ezra and Northrop Sweet that are going to go on a mission as well. Verse 8, open your mouths and they shall be filled and you shall become as Nephi of old who journeyed from Jerusalem into the wilderness. Yea, open your mouths and spare not and you shall be laden with sheaves upon your backs for lo, I am with you. Yea, open your mouths and they shall be filled saying, repent, repent and prepare the way for the Lord and make his path straight for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I love that the invitation is to simply open your mouth and start talking. Um, in a world right now that I think um, has a lot of people talking, we sometimes might feel hesitant to talk about our faith. And I think the simplest way to find your voice is just to start talking. Start talking to people openly about what you believe and why you believe it and what's happening to you because of that belief. Be open about your thoughts and about your feelings. Live your faith in an open kind of way. And I think that is maybe the easiest and simplest way to start figuring out what the voice is that you have and how it should be used. Yeah, and maybe to flip this around a little bit as well, I couldn't help but pass over just this phrase. And it's at the beginning of section 33. Um, he's talking, he says, Behold, I say unto you, my servants Ezra and Northrop, open ye your ears and hearken to the voice of the Lord your God. So he's specifically talking about him. Open up your ears and listen to me. And which is, of course, the first step. So important. We want to make sure that we're opening our ears and our hearts to God and making sure we're listening when he directs us and when he guides us. But I also thought how important it is to open ye your ears to other people to listen first, to understand. And I think that goes back to that comment that we read at the beginning of the episode of when we really learn to love someone, it's because we've spent time with them. We've listened to their stories. We've listened to their joys and their heartaches. And so I think as we open up our ears, remember that's not just to God, but I think that's also to our neighbors and those around us. It's really powerful. So not just open your mouth, but open your ears. Well, and it makes the things that we're opening our mouth about a little more relevant as yeah. we listen. Well, and to add just one more, section 31, verse 7, the Lord promises, I will open the hearts of the people and they will receive you and I will establish a church by your hand. In other words, our focus in opening our mouths and in opening our ears is not actually to persuade people, to convince them to change their hearts or to lead them to baptism or help them become converted the Lord just asks us to talk openly about what we're feeling and what we're thinking, to listen to what he's saying and to what others are saying, and then he will help change people's hearts. And I love that's the promise that comes if we open our mouths. You open your mouth, I will fill them. You open your ears, I'll help you understand, and then I will step in and open people's hearts. Which leads us to the next question that I wanted to ask is, why should I use my voice? And I think that's why I brought up the backstories to some of these people. It was really fun to read about them and their story of how they came to this point that now they're receiving a revelation from Joseph, from the Lord, about what their assignment is, is because they were all 
interested in using their voice, but they, it took them steps to get there. They had to discover why they wanted to even go out and preach the word. Um, and I loved this verse in verse 30, chap, section 31, verse 5. It says, Therefore thrust in your sick, sickle with all your soul, and your sins are forgiven you. And you shall be laden with sheaves upon your back, for the laborer is worthy of his hire. I think that there isn't really a better reason to use your voice than if you have felt God. In this case, he's talking about forgiveness. In many other cases, it's the joy that you feel from feeling accepted by God. I think back on all of these things that we've studied about these people. Joseph, the first thing he wanted to know is, was he accepted? Was he, did God trust him? And that's what most everyone is just looking for that approval. That's why most, I know in Orson Pratt's case is an example that he wanted to know what his work, was he accepted? Did God accept him? And what was he going to do with it? And so why should we use our voice? Most often it's because we have felt the glad tidings in the same chap, in the same section in verse three, it says, lift up your heart and rejoice for the hour of your mission is come and your tongue shall be loosed and you shall declare glad tidings of great joy unto this generation. And I think if we haven't felt forgiveness, if we haven't felt the joy that can come through the gospel, through Jesus Christ, through forgiveness, when we receive those things, then we, it's not rejoicing and it's not glad tidings of great joy because if we haven't felt that ourselves, then we're not going to express that to other people with your voice. The same thing shows up to Edward Partridge in section 36. Uh, Thus saith the Lord God, the mighty one of Israel, behold, I say unto you, my servant Edward, that you are blessed and your sins are forgiven you and you are called to preach my gospel as with the voice of a trump. The reason why he can preach with the voice of a trump is because he himself has felt forgiveness and felt that power that came into his life as he accepted the gospel. And it's because of that that he can go out and preach and teach. Yeah, so why should you use your voice or why should I use my voice? It's because we we know that he's there. And when you experience that, it just becomes so naturally. So I think maybe a second question is, if you haven't felt like felt that, how can I feel that? Or how can I feel that joy and lifting up our heart and the desire to rejoice and all of those great things is that you can ask yourself to feel those feelings so that it comes more naturally to want to use your voice. Yeah. This reminds me of your favorite talk um, from President Eyring, uh, Child and Disciple. And I know we've referenced it before because we love it, but he talks about um, when this happens to you, when you are a disciple and you have a relationship with Christ, you share the gospel, not because it's a duty or because it's a responsibility or because you've been invited to by the missionaries or the ward mission leader. You do it because you love God and you love others. It's a very natural outflow uh, of your love for him. And it, it happens naturally. You lift up your voice. Your tongue is loosed because you love the Savior and you can't help but talk about him. One of the questions that I was really interested in asking and searching for an answer to was, what should my voice sound like? And I got an early hint at an answer for me, at least, in section 31, verse 9, where Thomas Marsh was counseled, be patient in afflictions, revile not against those that revile, 
govern your house in meekness and be steadfast. A similar thing uh, was said to Parley P. Pratt in section 32. Behold, I say unto him that as I live, I will that he shall declare my gospel and learn of me and be meek and lowly of heart. And maybe that stood out to me because it stands in such sharp contrast to the way that so many voices are used today. The world currently places quite the premium on voices that are loud, that are charismatic, that are persuasive and powerful. And not that those are necessarily negative, but it's interesting to me that those are not what the Lord is asking his early missionaries to uh to not the kind of voice he's asking them to use or maybe you say the only kind of voice because he does say declare lift up your voices and declare as a trump well and i even wondered with that one does declaring with a trump mean that our voice is loud or does declaring with a trump mean that our voice is clear uh, trumpets mm-hmm. were a signal in ancient times and they were loud But the reason they used a trumpet instead of just shouting or yelling, one of the reasons is because it was very clear. It was very discernible. It was a sound that was different from everything else that you would hear. I like thinking about it that way. And so I I just, yeah. So I just wonder if uh, as we are wrestling with what our voice should sound like, it is so easy to get wrapped up in, uh, pick your topic. If we're talking about our beliefs about politics, which we should be open about our beliefs about politics. We are fully entitled as uh, Americans, if you're in America or if you're living in a place where you have a voice, we're entitled to have political opinions that are um, infused with our religious beliefs. Other people are allowed to have those too, and it's not necessarily a right versus wrong. But uh, I think sometimes the power of those beliefs can be tainted when our voice is so harsh and so critical. When we talk about family, uh, again, a great place where our religious beliefs, our, our convictions and, and testimonies uh, can influence the discussion. But if our voices are loud or aggressive, then they they lose, I think, the power that God can lend behind those voices. Uh, when we're talking to other people about our beliefs, whatever they may be, I think using a voice that is meek, that does not revile, in short, using a voice that is like the one that the Savior uses to talk to us, I think uh, will allow him to, through the Spirit, confirm truth and open hearts. Or in the words of section 33, verse 16, that the power of my spirit will quickeneth all things. Mm. I like that, that it adds that in of, um, he says, the Book of Mormon and Holy Scriptures are given of me for your instruction, and the power of my spirit quickeneth all things. Um, I think as we do all of these things, with the Holy Spirit by our side, by asking for the Spirit to guide us and direct us, that we can be quickened in all sorts of ways and maybe even feel more secure and more confident and more certain in what we're talking about and in our own testimonies and thoughts. And actually, just to end, I'll read a couple scriptures just up from that. Verses 12 and 13 of section 33. 
Behold, verily, verily, I say unto you, this is my gospel, and remember that they shall have faith in me, or they can in no wise be saved. And upon this rock I will build my church, yea, upon this rock ye are built, and if ye continue, the gates of hell shall not prevail against you. Don't forget upon which rock this whole voice declaring (laughs) all of the things that we're asked to do, what rock it is. It's the Savior Jesus Christ. If we build um, our faith around him, if we remember who we are preaching about and who he's building his church upon, I think that the Spirit will be with us and we will be able to use our voice in very natural and loving and comforting and maybe even easygoing. All of those ways because we have the most important voice with us as we do this in prayer and focusing on the Savior. Thank you so much for studying with us this week and every week. We're so grateful to have you studying along with us. Remember to find us on Instagram at Scripture Study Project. We would love to hear your answers to this question of what is your voice and all the questions that surround it. Thank you so much. We hope you have a great week.